filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Jason, I think we've lost Ben. Well, I think Christmas <laughs> Christmas did him in. He's he's done. A reading rainbow. That'll do it. I mean, the holidays are tough. Yeah, uh, I'm, you gotta travel. You gotta I see a bunch of people. Go nice. I know. Yes, I'm counting. You have to be nice as something that's tough. Take a look <laughs> I for one am exhausted. Um, Christmas was. Awesome. I'm not going to lie. Like Christmas with kids is fantastic and also exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. Yes. And I, I needed to buy a new car coming back from Radford because like I, we had to pack myself into the car with all of the stuff we had to bring back. So wait, did you buy a, a new car? No, no, unfortunately not. Cause that would require money, which is the one thing we did not receive. We received lots of lovely things from my daughter, but Nothing that would you you can't buy a new car with uh, Frankie Beats uh, rolling sound balls or well, not with that attitude dinosaur uh, ball jumpers or uh, clothes or books. Did you guys ever read that that thing about the guy that went on Craigslist and he traded a paperclip and he just kept trading things over and over? Yes, one red paperclip. That was like one of the first memes. I don't think it was one of the first memes. I mean, it was in, like, 2003. Was it that long ago? There's no way it was that long ago. Craig- One red paper clip Craigslist. had to be that long ago. Craigslist was not around when I was in college. I don't think it was on Craigslist. Pretty sure it was. Let's see. One red paper oh, clip. Oh, don't Wikipedia it. says it was on his own website that he created. What? Who it started in 2000, a- 2005. Who it was 2005 would- to 2006. How would anyone have found this random website this person know. set up? Maybe maybe that was just now the- I'm I'm now reversing course. This whole thing is made up. He never traded anything for anybody. <laughs> this is a liar. He has a house in Saskatchewan. He, he now. owned that house and a paperclip and made up everything <laughs> in between. All a lie. If that guy wants to come on the show and debate me, I'm I'm prepared to debate him at length about the factual uh, veracity of his claims. In that I'll keep telling him he's a liar until the show is over. In 14 trades, that's all it took? Yeah, because it, because it was a simpler time when the th- novelty of trading from a paperclip to a house was hilarious. I I have no words for this. So let's uh, just just go on the record as to whether you support this man's lies or not, Adam. <laughs> I have no. Re- I, I saw a picture of the house on the internet. It's yeah. on the internet, yeah, he- Jason. Or that his, or that his friend owns. He probably owns the true on the internet. You can go into a house and take pictures of it and say that you live there. Not on the internet. You have to say truthful things on the internet, like what I'm doing right Adam, now. Adam, Adam, uh, Jason, do we need to do? Do we need to break it to Adam? Uh, Adam, you're gonna want to sit down. I, I'm, I am um, sitting down. 
Okay, you're going to want to lay down. <laughs> I don't think I can do that in this chair. I'm at my dining room yeah. table. Well, you're, this is terrible news for you, Adam, but uh, the internet is actually mostly lies. Yep. Almost everything on it is lies. But yep. we're talking to each other over the internet, and everything on the internet is true. So what are you saying? That we're not talking to each other. This, this whole time, this whole time, I've been Ben, and Ben has been Jason. And by Jason saying that he has been Ben, he means that he has been a goat playing Ben, playing Jason. Playing. You guys ben. are just shaking my, shaking me to my core right now. I can't even commit to this bit fully. I'm too tired from Christmas. <laughs> uh, so that'll happen. Yeah. I think we'll just uh I did successfully roast a duck for Christmas. And saw Star Wars. So it was it was pretty great. Plus all the cute kid stuff, but um so exhausting. So exhausting. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the exhausted from Christmas and Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley, Jason Anderson, all of us from Black and Red United dot com, where we talk about DC United mostly, but also other soccer things. And being exhausted. Uh, tonight, we are talking about DC United's offseason. Uh, there were a couple of moves uh, since our last episode, and we're going to break those down. We're also going to be talking some new DC United Stadium news, but not at Buzzard Point. Don't worry. It's nothing bad. I promise. Audi Field at Buzzard Point, still a thing, still happening. Um, but there's there's other stadium news, and... If you've been paying attention, you already know what that is. But if you haven't, we get to keep you in suspense. Uh, just don't go Google it. Stay in suspense. Do it for me. I'm exhausted. I need this. Ben needs this. I don't need anything. He needs this. Don't don't listen to him. He's trying to be tough. He's trying to be a good soldier. Ben needs this. He needs you to be in suspense right now. Uh, before we do anything, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh... I wish I could, if I weren't so tired, uh, I probably would have made a warm drink with some sort of alcohol, possibly like hot cocoa with Frangelico, but that would put me to sleep. Um, and so in the name of the show, I've, I've just gone with a beer. Uh, I picked out uh, Oliver Brewing Company's uh, Balls to the Wall American Pale Ale. Um, Oliver's a Baltimore brewery that's kind of, uh, I, they've grown in prominence the last year or so. Um this is, it's an American pale ale that really comes close to just being an IPA. Um, like many American I got it. Right. I got it mostly because I, I hadn't seen it before and just wanted to give it a shot. And it, it's pretty good for what it is. Um, it maybe is a little too close to being an IPA uh, for my preferences, but uh, it's still pretty good. Uh, if you see it out there, it's, uh, the artwork is not really, there's not really artwork. It's just sort of red on silver. <laughs> but not like a Budweiser can um, sort of a deacon. And most of their cans are, are very artistic. This is not unless it's like a Rothko tribute, but I don't think it's that either. I, uh, it is aggressively and meanly cold outside right now as we record. Mm -hmm. um, I did go with a, a hot drink. Uh, my, we were delayed a little bit recording because my computer decided to just take ages and ages to boot up. So in the time my computer was trying to boot, I, I boiled some water and put bourbon. Was your, com 
Was your computer uh, oot in a boot? No, Ben. Was that joke worth interrupting? I'm not sure it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I put some bourbon and honey and lemon juice in a cup and then added the boiling water. Now I have a delicious hot toddy uh, that that is helping protect me from this vicious, wicked cold. You know, the walls of my house are doing more work, I think, than the hot toddy, but the hot toddy is helping. Ben, what are you drinking? Uh, I would, I needed something with caffeine, and I combined it with uh, my father gave me a handle of Knob Creek Ooh. for Christmas. That's a lot of Knob um, Creek. Yes, it is. So I'm just drinking Coke Zero and Knob Creek because I needed the caffeine to stay awake and podcast yeah. for you lovely people. And needs... He needs the caffeine and he needs our listeners to be in suspense. Yes. Do do you guys want to know about how I was introduced to Knob Creek? Yes. Yeah. I hear shame in your voice Um, and that excites me. (laughs) No, it's not shame. Uh, I'm just tired. Um, So we were at a bar in uh, DuPont Circle and it was sort of like getting towards the end of the night and everyone's sort of lying. It was a big group of people. We were there for someone was going out of town or something. There were like 20 people in the group and everyone's kind of sidling up to the bar for their one last order uh, at the bar uh, before everyone's going to leave. And I happened to, this was, I was 22. So very new to alcohols and most alcohols in general. Um, And I look across the bar, I'm I'm looking at what's behind there trying to figure out if there's something new I can try. And I see Knob Creek and I don't really know anything about it. I can tell from the bottle that it's bourbon, but that's all I really know. But the fact that its name is Knob Creek uh, made me amused to no end. So I just started looking at people and saying Knob over and over at them until they submitted to ordering a round of Knob Creek with me. And so I was just basically standing by the bar staring at my friend saying Knob, 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 Knob. Until I got like 13 or 14 people to order themselves a (laughs) shot of Knob Creek uh, just through sheer force of will. Um, and then the thing is, Knob Creek is sipping bourbon. Yeah. It's not for shots. It burns quite a bit if you take it as a shot, which everyone found out as a group. Um, but then uh, we kept, the, or a few of us, uh, a few of the more reckless folks, including me, um, kept that going as a tradition for a long time, um, ordering shots of Knob to burn the weakness away. Um, but I, later I found out, don't order a round of shots of Knob for a group of people yes. because that's expensive. Yeah. Uh, don't do that, especially if it's the end of the night and you should just have gone home. Because what happens or you is you could have gotten you them Vladimir vodka and they wouldn't have known the difference. No, you'd know the difference. It, that's a different <laughs> burn. Um, the bur- the burn of sadness. Um, but yeah, if you order a round of shots of knob, you get a very expensive uh, bar tab, and then you miss the last train home, uh, and uh, you're. You have basically like a second adventure after your night out of drinking, which you thought was your only adventure for the night. So, Jason, you'll enjoy this. My very first job ever in my hometown in southern Indiana was at the Knob Hill Tavern. Busting tables and everyone there was, you know, small town and in southern Indiana. Everyone there was delighted when a bottle of Knob Creek turned up behind the bar at Knob Hill. Um, It was some knob. Exactly. Everyone enjoyed it. <laughs> Everyone had the knob, knob, knob attitude. Uh, I, I don't think... If not necessarily the uh, the execution. Yeah, I don't think anybody ordered or, or forced through sheer force of will uh, <laughs> others to order shots of Knob Creek 
at Knob Hill, but I, I do know for a fact that Knob Creek has been consumed at Knob Hill because of the word knob. Yeah. Knob, knob, knob. Ben, please don't name this episode Knob, Knob, Knob. You can't control I can't. Me. That's why I said please. Uh, let's let's talk soccer. Last week we talked about where DC United's roster stands as as it was and what their priorities and next steps ought to be. Uh, they only had eighteen roster slots filled, leaving ten to twelve uh, left to go before they could really uh, field a team for for next year. As of right now, they have nineteen spots definitely filled. They they signed one player, and there's another one kind of sort of pending we don't know where it is exactly but um we'll call it half claimed i guess uh last fully claimed half signed well he's not the roster spot isn't claimed the player is claimed but he's not occupying a roster spot right this moment that player is gonzalo verone late of the uh metros up there in new jersey he was claimed by dc united in phase two stage two of the re-entry draft. Uh, his option was declined by the Red Bulls and um, DC United is now free to negotiate a new contract with him. If they can make him a bona fide offer, then he his rights will stay with DC United, at least with regard to MLS. If they don't, if they, they talk to him and decide, nah, we'd rather let him walk, then he'll just be a free agent within the league. He, of course, no matter what happens, um, as far as DC United making him an offer, he's free to sign anywhere else in the world. And reports are that he has some options abroad if he doesn't want to stay in MLS or play for DC United for whatever reason. Uh, he was, I think, considered generally to be a designated player bust for New Jersey up there. He uh, came in and wasn't able to unseat Bradley Wright Phillips but over the course of a couple seasons did work his way into a pretty important contributor role, especially down the stretch last year. Uh, Jason, do you want to fill in some of the gaps of my storytelling there? Uh, yeah. Verone's transfer was actually on our site. At least it's a, a big part of pointing out that the Red Bulls were not the uh, blue collar no spending team that they started to claim they were because right as they started making that claim, they were also dropping about $2 million on a transfer fee to bring Verone to MLS. Um, it was convenient timing for them that no one talked about that side of it. That that was really why he was a designated player. His salary was listed at uh, half a million this past season, so he's just barely over the line uh, as far as DP salaries go. Um, but again, that's his listed by the players' union salary. We don't know what the cap hit involved is. Um, we just, we do know that there was a a substantial transfer fee paid. Um, he was at San Lorenzo, which is a big club in Argentina. Um, that was where Ignacio Piatti was playing before he came here. So, um, uh, a team with, oh, go ahead. Transfer, transfer marked claims it to be, and with a grain of salt, but they put it in the range of 1.8 million, uh, pounds. Okay. So that'd be over 2 million, but whatever it was. Um, yeah. But I mean, so that, that's the, that's, yeah, it's a yeah. substantial well, well, This was, you know, the Red Bulls were claiming uh, to be a effective blue collar team while also spending more than DC United had ever spent on a transfer in their entire history at the time. Um, so that's kind of the, uh, 
that that sort of colors the judgment of Verone because he's kind of uh, kind of the butt of a joke at the Red Bulls. Um, and, and he didn't really hit the ground running. He didn't um, – when he arrived, it was a midseason arrival on a team that already had um, Bradley Wright Phillips. They had Mike Grello was playing really well in – twenty. this was in 2015. Um, there wasn't really a spot to put him in where there wasn't already someone doing well. And he didn't really hit the ground running. He was mostly just a sub in that first season. He only had uh, one goal, one assist. Um, but over time, as Adam said, he he grew in stature. Uh, 2016, it was kind of the same in 2016. But 2017 is where he really um, started to improve. And I think a lot of that improvement came once the Red Bulls changed their system a little bit um, and started playing that 3-3-3-1. Um, what was interesting to me watching him this year was that when they would sub him in, and that was still most of his appearances were still off the bench. He only started five games this season out of 24 appearances. Um, but when he would come in, in the three, 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 one, they would move Bradley Wright Phillips, who appears to be for all the world to be a classic goal poacher type of forward. They would move him into a midfield role. Um, they would drop him in as the right or left uh, midfielder on either side of Sasha Kleshton and play Verone up front and give him the uh, freedom to roam. And, and Verone likes to take some odd angles as a lone forward. He'll drift out wide um, and then slash in. There's a little bit of um, a little bit of Fabian Espindola in that regard, except he's fast. Um, he's not Dominic Oduro fast, but he's still significantly faster than Espindola or Patrick Mullins, um, for that matter. Um so he's an interesting player for a team that wants to play with a lone forward. Um, probably better as a, a guy that plays on the counter. Uh, for the Red Bulls, it actually made a lot of sense to make him a sub for that sort of purpose because they were usually getting themselves out in front. Um, that was the consequence of them being near the top of the standings for all those all that time was that uh, they would usually be playing with a lead, and then you can bring in this uh, player who excels on the counter and finish games off that way. It's something that or at least – one goal on the counter in the playoffs this year. And he, he seemed to be playing his best in during well, the, the Red Bulls playoff games his, this year, his uh, run of form from mid September to the end of their season included uh, four goals in their last six regular season games. And then one goal in uh, their three playoff games. So he was, he was doing very well down the stretch, um, both playing, um, as an out and out forward, occasionally drifting out to the left. Um, either way, um, I think his reputation. What was it? Go ahead. And and what was it in fifteen when he destroyed DC United in the playoffs? Something in with like five minutes left in that game. Uh, did he have an assist? Yes, he did have an assist. In fifteen, yeah, he he did come in very late and had an assist to finish off the playoff series completely. Um, I think it was to um, also Loyandula. Yeah. Yes. He also yes. scored the the last goal in RFK Stadium history. Yes. Again, um, the game probably. winner. Yeah, probably. Asterisk yeah, but, uh, as of right now. Yeah, uh, Verone brings some things that we don't really have on the roster. I mean, Darren Maddox now does bring speed and a player that can play as a striker or on the left. But um, I think Verone doesn't have necessarily the. Uh, the aerial ability or the size that Maddox brings, he's not as powerful as a player. He's, he's a little bit more of um, 
a little shiftier, uh, a little less predictable than Maddox can tend to be. Um, but, it, you know, part of this issue with Verona, and the reason I've been t- saying that I think maybe it's sort of DC is taking a flyer on whether they can land him or not, is that at 500000 I don't think that's – if they just offer him close to that, um, that's not going to work for DC United for his relative value to the team. Um, if they can find a price tag that works for DC United, but also works for Verone, uh, then they can make a deal. But I don't know that they're necessarily pinning all their hopes on making it. It's not like when they got Boswell and Franklin in the re-entry draft where it was like, if we can't figure out how to sign these guys, we are screwed. Um, I think this one is more of a like, all right, this might be the most talented attacking player available in this, uh, re-entry draft, uh, pool. Let's, if he's still there when we have our chance, we'll take a shot at him. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work because it doesn't hurt anything to make that selection. Um, yeah, the re-entry draft is nothing. Right. It, it, all you do is get the right to negotiate with the player. So I assume, I think tomorrow we're recording this on the 27th. I think the 28th is their deadline to have submitted a uh, bona fide offer per the, the rules of the re-entry draft or you have a week to submit an offer. Um, so it wouldn't shock me if by the time you're listening to this, there's news that DC has made an offer to Verone and he's considering it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the the fact that he's alleged to have people you know interested from abroad, I assume that could be clubs in Argentina as well because he was playing. He wasn't just a guy floating around there. Um, he was playing, and, and uh, that's going to be a significant issue because if – if the money becomes kind of the same, is he looking at a starting role there versus maybe not a starting role with DC United? Um, because I, as much as I think Verona is a talented player, I also don't know that in Ben Olsen's setup, I don't know that Verona is a starter because he's five foot eight, so he's not necessarily cut from the normal cloth of a Ben Olsen center forward. Um, and on the left, you've got Zoltan Stieber, you've got Darren Maddox. Um, also, Verone takes up the international spot. Uh, if, if they were to sign him, he's going to take up one of those, and United is now maxed out on using those. Um, and also, if they do sign him, it does call into question what whether Bruno Miranda is going to stick. Um, because if you've got yet another speedy forward winger type of guy taking up an international spot, at some point something's got to give. Um, and if if Miranda's just not if he's not if you if you add Verone, there's not really very much playing time to give Miranda. So um, that's a situation to watch if Verone does opt to sign. But first things first, he would have to opt to sign. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what price tag it would be for DC United to make that work because I don't know. I haven't. I don't. I'm not familiar with Verone's valuation of himself. If he's the kind of player that thinks he is a, a world beater, or if he's more realistic um, about where he fits into everything. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting move. I, I kind of thought that there were a, a role player. There there was a role player or two out there that they could have grabbed instead. But uh, I don't really have a problem with taking a flyer on Verone and seeing if it works. I mean, the worst case scenario is that he's out of the league. Um, and then you don't have to worry about him subbing in for the Red Bulls and being such a problem. Um, and also it does. I mean, the Red Bulls fan base was, uh, at least some of them, some some folks there that just never liked Verone were perfectly fine with him going, but the fans that had sort of evaluated him on his actual play were not really very pleased that he was made available and not pleased at all that he was taken by DC. So um, at least we're off to some kind of positive in that the some Red Bulls fans are upset. And that's always nice. 
the other yeah. Verone is the the half a roster spot because obviously he's not signed yet. Um, an actual signing purchase from Saprisa in Costa Rica is Ulysses Segura, uh, midfielder, uh, Costa Rican international, could be going to Russia uh, to represent his country at the World Cup this coming summer. He has been signed. Um, he's a guy who seems like can play just about any position in the midfield, uh, at least on the attacking side. He, he's played on the outside. He's played centrally, uh, both attacking and kind of two-way. And the reports are that, that Ben Olsen and Chad Ashton see him playing that number eight role, um, kind of connecting Russell Knauss to Lucho Acosta in, in the midfield. Last week, I asked if there was going to be an international signing at this position to potentially displace Ian Harks or uh, Chris Durkin, I guess, from that position next to Knaus, if you'd want to see it. This wasn't the type of signing I had in mind. I, I was thinking a TAM level signing, which I think this falls below that threshold. Jason, how are you feeling about about this signing? I was I was hoping for a bigger splash, but a guy going to the World Cup with you know a, a decent Costa Rica team is also not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I, I would say first of all that he's iffy to make the World Cup. I think right now he's probably more like twenty six, twenty seven on that roster. I don't know that he's um, he's definitely in the mix and could play his way in or could end up going because he's so versatile. Um, so that, that it's it's kind of a he's right on the bubble I would I guess I would say he's a little maybe a step or two behind where Ariola is with the US national team. Um but uh I, I mean as a in terms of just as a signing I think Segura is a pretty good idea. Um I think his profile as a player is maybe slightly ahead of where Jose Ortiz's was at this time last year. Um speaking of another Costa Rican, who was, I think Ortiz was also 24 at the time he was signed, which is Segura is 24 right now. Um, I think the difference is that Ortiz was a solid starter for Alajuelense, whereas Segura was a more important starter at Zaprisa. He's a, you know, he was one of their four or five most important players, whereas I think at Alajuelense, they could have dealt just fine without Ortiz. I mean, it, he wouldn't have, they wouldn't have had an equal player, but it would have been very close to an equal player. Um, so I think they've they've upgraded a little in that department as far as the importance of that player relative to um, the Costa Rican league. Um, I think it also helps that he Seguro fits United's style of play a little more. Um, Ortiz came in and we were saying from the from the go the get go that uh, he's not really cut out to be a center forward in a for uh, at the time it was a four one four one. So I, you know, the, we were curious whether he's going to end up playing on the wing. Instead, he never played on the wing at all, um, and did not work as a center forward. Segura can play, I think, four in the four two three one. He can play four different positions in that setup, um, and not, none of them are really that big of a stretch. I am a little surprised that uh, the quote from Dave Casper was that they're looking at him to be more of a number eight. Um, I would have rated that as third or fourth out of his four positions that he could have played. I, I would look at him more as a right-sided midfielder and then maybe as a backup number 10. Um, but the good thing is that he 
he's been effective at multiple different positions. I'm sure that um, the team has scouted him much more so than I have because uh, the Costa Rican league is not exactly easy to find. Um, but uh, no, I, I think overall it, as far as making a big splash, it might not be meeting what people uh, are looking for, but at the same time, you don't, you're not every signing is going to be the big splash signing. Some of them are just going to be uh, quality depth slash possibly challenging for a starting spot. Um, I don't think Segura is going to push Ariola or Steber or Acosta out of the lineup um, in those attacking spots. I, I, sense that the expectation if if he's going to be starting the season tried as a number eight is that he'll enter he'll enter preseason expected to start over harks at the at the start of it but i wouldn't i wouldn't say you'd write his name in ink by any means um but you know if he can't win a starting spot over harks that doesn't mean that he's bad um it also means that united doesn't necessarily have to rely on nick dalion to play nine positions every single game um, that means that by carrying Segura, they have cover at a bunch of different spots um, and a way to really change things because he's not as fast as Ariola if he's playing on the right. Um, he's going to be more of a uh, possession player, someone who's looking to combine a little more rather than being as direct as Ariola can be. Um, so as a change of pace, he has value. Um, he's not going to be – this isn't a United signed a CONCACAF player who's – five, six, and, and might not be up to the physicality. Uh, Segura's, I believe, six feet tall. Um, he's pretty solidly built. He's not someone that's going to be uh, muscled out of the way in MLS. So there's there's another positive. Um, uh, you know, He's not a Christian Castillo. Right. He's not going to be, the, uh, you know, the first time someone bumps into him, he's not going to be like, whoa, what was that? Um, so that side of it's good. And, uh, you know, at Saprisa, there's a, you know, he's used to, pretty intense pressure to win because the expectation with Saprisa is to win the league every single time. Um, and the fact that he's breaking into the Costa Rican team, which is a very good national team right now. Um, all of that is, is a, it's a positive. He might not be a first choice starter all year long, but he's going to be a player that can contribute all season in a, in a positive way. I, I think I expect him to be, I, I certainly expect him to stick uh in a way that Ortiz didn't. I think there's something to be said for United's confidence in him because they went out and signed him outright rather than do the year-long loan that gives them that chance to get out of it if it's not working. Right, they took um, an actual they, risk of some kind. Yeah. As a, right, there's a transfer fee of some kind involved. Probably not a big one, um, but something was paid. Um, the same site, Transfer Mark, that Ben re- re- referenced earlier they've got it listed as 300,000 or no, his market value is listed as 300,000 euros and the transfer fee is a question mark. So um, something was paid, but no one knows yet. Um, but no, he, he, I think he's going to be a regular contributor. I think it, in my mind, at least if he doesn't work as a number eight, he might be taking over Lloyd Sam's spot at the end of the season where he was that um, first winger off the bench. Um but that's still that's a spot that United need to improve, especially when you consider Darren Maddox doesn't really play as a winger when he plays on the left. He's sort of a, a wide forward. Um, so if you don't want that, if you want somebody who's going to be not necessarily crashing the goal every single time, um, then Segura is the kind of player you need. Uh, but we'll see, you know, whether he sticks as number eight as the, is apparently is the plan or if he's going to be bounced around a little bit. Um I think they're going to get him in in preseason and figure out how he fits in with the group. 
Um, so I, I'm, that's if, if I, obviously everything in the preseason, we're all going to be nerding out over every single little thing. But um, I think one of the major stories, at least with the roster as comprised is what is Segura's actual position with this group? How does he fit in? Because it could be in a bunch of different spots. Well, I feel like if he uh, is used as a number eight, it's going to be in a far different manner than Ian Hark's, uh, Ian Hark's plays as a number eight. So it'll be a good indication of uh, a different look that DC United may try to uh, throw out there and see if a more uh, proactive front foot soccer style is possible for them. I feel like it's kind of like what they wanted to do with Nick DeLeon at the number eight, but with a player who may be better suited to that than Nick DeLeon was. Well, I think Ian Harks, I mean, he, he played that front foot style at Wake Forest. Just he, you know, as a rookie in MLS, there's always going to be, well, almost always going to be some learning curve. So it might be more like for like at number eight than than it initially seems. It, we, we don't know yet. Obviously, we don't know how Ian Harks is going to play the position, uh, if, depending on how many minutes he gets next year or how Segura is going to play. Um, a couple things to keep an eye on going forward. International slots, as Jason said, if uh, or a, as of right now, United, I think, are out of international roster slots. They yes. traded a couple away. Um, Segura took up the fifth of the five that they had. Right. And then the other two that that of the normal allotment of seven uh, were, were traded away to Portland and normal allotment of eight. Normal allotment of eight, rather. Uh, that's yes. right. Because last, last year we traded one to Houston. That's right. We had four coming back, but have traded away uh, three since. So, um, yeah. So we gained one in all of that exchange. Yeah. Uh, this is why we have spreadsheets. <laughs> Not we, Jason. You have spreadsheets. Uh, they, there should be an international slot on, from another team on the market somewhere. If United needs one, hopefully they will need one. They haven't. I don't think Verone is the the big signing that we want to see at forward going into next year. I, I do want to see United spend some money this off season to to build on the momentum from last summer's deadline day. Um, you know, they've made some, what look like some good signings so far this, this winter. Briant Maddox could be pretty key additions. Verone, if he signs Segura, sure. But I want to see a, a big name goal scorer and, and we don't have that yet. Um, I at least want to just see a transformational play. Sure. At this point. It it doesn't matter where it is at this point to me. I mean, yes, I'd love a goal scorer too, but some point, especially up at some place up, especially up the spine of the team, they need someone transformational. And Briant is a good player, and Segura could be a good player, and Verone's a good player, but none of them are transformational in the way that we've all been hoping they make at least one signing like. Right. So yeah. we're going to go ahead. I was going. I was going to say. Um, I think. United will have a lot of pretty angry fans if spring training comes around and there's not even a sign of uh, a bigger signing than the ones they've made so far. Um, because I think so far they've done a solid job of building out. I mean, you know, this was a major rebuild. This wasn't a if if we just sign one player, it'll be fixed. This was a like we need we have a lot of work to do here. 
Um, and they've done some of that work. They've improved at center back. They've added some more speed uh, up front, possibly even more so if their own signs. Um, you know, we're talking about Segura, who seems like a solid addition for multiple spots in the midfield. All of that is very good. Um, but I don't think that's – these aren't the kind of signings that people are going to get excited about necessarily, uh, sight unseen. Um, and in this era of discretionary TAM – uh, and an era where there's no rent check to pay uh, anyone right now. Um, the pressure is on. The, pr- the pressure is on DC United to sign uh, a player, you know, someone that's going to be a big deal like Paul Ariola was a big deal. Um, I think they are kind of under, you know, especially after having fans wait for so long um, to start making moves, the, the pressure is there for them to make a move coming into the year, not waiting for the summer window, which of course the summer window is the easier one to make the deal in. But uh, you know, such as life in MLS, there's no, um, if anyone's trying to tell you that, Oh, if they just switch the uh, schedule to the uh, starting in August and ending in May uh, lineup, well, guess what? Like 13 teams won't be able to play any games for like half the season. So right. even, um, I mean, good luck with that one at this point, even if they just announced that they're, they've signed a pre-contract with a player to join in the summer. That would be, that would be something. something. And and you'll notice, you'll notice I I've been saying they haven't signed yet. Not, not they didn't sign. The off season is still young. Um, Yes. There's still, still, there's still time to to do this and I'm sure they're working hard on something. They still have until, they still have until early February at the latest to announce something. I mean, there will be. There for, will definitely for, be for, for the beginning of the year. There will definitely be fan unrest if draft day comes along and they don't have a designated player signing done. Oh well, but of course. Realistically, it's not time to start getting upset until we're you know if they're going to that uh, preseason game against Las Vegas and El Chalice. Right. Uh, if they're going into that one and we don't even have like a rumor to latch on to, then yeah, it's that's the time to start getting legitimately right. upset. Lucho Lucho didn't join team, the team until team the middle asked, of preseason when he arrived. Right, but we had before an inkling that that was an ongoing discussion right. before that. Um, right. But yeah, United has asked fans for a few years to put off um, demands to spend big time, but you know now that the the troubles are gone the demands are there and they're not going to go away or back down. So um, it's, you know, it, I think they could do themselves a favor even by, you know, showing that uh, showing signs that they pursued someone and having it not work. At least there's something there. Um, but as, if the current silence extends for a couple more months, then they're going to have a, a pretty angry fan base on their, on their hands. Um, if, if we're being blunt and, and, you know, justifiably, because now that MLS has given ownership, uh, team owners in MLS have now this major option to expand how much they can spend on things without, um, or I was about to say without having to spend their own money, but that's not necessarily true. But um, still, it's an option to get in and and make your team better. Uh, And it's something that in the past, you did not have the option to do. uh, And now they do. Um, They don't have anything stopping them from doing this. So the there's distinct pressure. It's not just rebuild your bad team from last year. It's, you know, let's continue the spending we saw last summer. Um, don't make last summer be a one-off uh, because I think that would one, 
it would be tough to take. But two, I mean, the way the league is going, you kind of have to spend to keep up. Uh, you're not going to stick with Atlanta and uh, TFC in their same conference. You're not going to keep up with them if you're not putting some money on the table. Yeah, it, this might be something we explore in more detail later in the offseason, but parity in MLS is is starting to to break apart a little bit. And spending money is is going to be more and more determinative of uh, success in the league. And, and United is spending money. They're, they're spending a lot of money on the stadium and, on Buzzard Point, and they're spending some money on another stadium. And we're going to talk about that right after this. Stick around. It's filibuster. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious, in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We promised you some non-Buzzard Point stadium news uh, before the break and at the outset. And uh, here it is. DC United announced last week that they are close to agreement with Loudoun County, Virginia to build a 5,000-seat stadium near Leesburg, um, as well as some fields to... um, act as home to a new USL team that will be kind of United's B team, as well as a training facility for the first team and the Academy. As luck would have it, our own Ryan Kiefer is a Loudoun County resident and is keeping up on this. And we decided, what the hell? Let's have Ryan on the show to to learn us all about Loudoun County. Ryan, welcome back. Hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> How, how many times are we going to talk about greenways tonight and toll roads? I'll I'll try and shoot for the under tonight. All right. Before we do anything, of course, what are you drinking? Um, well, I've been on a bit of a hazy New England IPA type kick recently, and um, there's a a brewery out uh, out near my office named Aslan that uh, that does releases and they they release every Thursday, and they um, it, it's kind of like a like a Texas barbecue type of thing where they open up, they say, here's the beer and you get four packs until we're sold out. Essentially. Um, so the beer that I am drinking is a double IPA called Johan buys a broat. Um, 
the the story behind the name kind of is is fairly decent. One of the brewers was a um, was a uh, police officer in Houston, and he said that um, like he kept a log of all the stuff that happened in Houston, and, and um, so he said that one of the stories was was um, a nine one one call he heard about a man who was convinced that his cousin Johan was breaking into his house stealing his mangoes and replacing them with rotten strawberries. <laughs> so he kind of used that as, as like a, like a springboard. He, he made a kind of like a base beer, um, which, which they still release now. It's called mind the hop. And, um, did he, they, did he uh, use mangoes or rotten strawberries in the beer? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the, the base beer is one called mind the hop, which they, they sell periodically and they do uh, these, uh, I think there's like three or four different releases that they condition on fruit. And they call them, I think they call them something like the Fruit Banded Series. So uh, so this one is a uh, double IPA that's conditioned on pineapple and mandarin oranges. And has a little bit of vanilla. And um, it's, um, it's, I think it's one of their, their kind of staples. And, and what they're also good for is they, they make really strong beer that's very very drinkable and this is like a 9.4 abv so uh nice. so once i get off here i'll i'll uh, i'll be going to sleep pretty quickly so um but yeah it's it's like right near my office i like you know go grab some occasionally and then i go to my home in loudon county which is what we're here to talk about beer beer <laughs> um Ben, thank you for your restraint. Um, not playing that stupid air horn you were playing before we actually started recording. I, it's not me. It's not, that has never been me. I'm, I've been accused and have been guilty of many things, but the air horn is not Adam, me. Adam, it was me. <laughs> I am a broken man. You, you brought it up. I mean, you, you drew that... You, you drew that yeah. one upon yourself I, by blaming you the wrong one of us. The segue into that Ryan gave you uh, into the segment, but no, you took the time to stop. It's true. Now you paid the price. <laughs> I, I have regrets. <laughs> I have regrets in this life. Foremost among them was that moment. <laughs> so Ryan, uh, tell us about this deal. Uh, DC United in Loudoun County. Um, We'll, we'll get to the process in, in a minute, but what's the substance of this deal? Um, well, the, the substance is they, they, um, they're looking at, at two parcels of land within this, uh, the, this larger park uh, called the Philip A. Bolin Memorial Park. It's, uh, it's a pretty recent opening park within the last like six or seven years. And the, the whole park is like 400 acres, and they're looking at um, – like one area that's about 27 or 20 it's it's split fairly equal distance um or in terms of size one's about 27 or 28 acres it's going to be the stadium and and um parking and and all that and then the other which is kind of like on the the other side of the park the, the east side of the park is where where the uh uh, facility is going to be, and they're building actually four new fields. I was kind of like reading up on it earlier today, and I, I actually thought that they're going to be kind of 
playing on the some of the fields that they have uh, at the park now, but it turns out they're actually going to be constructing new ones along with the, uh, the uh, training site. So it's all in all, it's a, a fairly substantive uh, uh, proposal that they've kind of. Oh, so on. the so the new training fields would not be on the Loudon Soccer Complex site. That's where the stadium would go, and they'd be building brand new. Brand new fields on the other side of the park. Well, the, the way it's kind of set up, like the 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 west side is where the stadium and and parking is going to be, and then the east side is where the where the the training offices and and new fields are going to be. In addition to the fields that they have, they have about like um they have about six fields now, and they're going to build four more. And so basically, the the county comes out of this with you know, six fields that they already have, plus they get to use two with, uh, you know, so long as they don't kind of bump into any sort of like programming that the USL has. So two of the fields will be for United's exclusive use, right? And mm-hmm. the other two will be available to the team. The parking lots will become park and ride lots for, for people taking commuter buses. Um, what are the financials? And the silver line eventually. Yeah, potentially in the, the, the silver line. Uh, what are the financials of this deal? Um, as I understand it, the, uh, the county is going to be preparing the land and, and doing everything similar to what they're doing for Audi. And um, and then they're loaning the team uh, $15 million in terms of, uh, if I understand right, $15 million for, for construction, which they're going to pay back over the course of the lease. And if there's any overages that come from construction costs, which is very possible, um, then like, like they're doing now with Audi, then the team's going to kind of like eat those up front. So uh, this is not a done deal yet. What's, what's the process in, in Loudoun County to, to get this over the line? And what are the prospects? Um, one, admittedly still learning this a little bit myself. <laughs> Um, the, the board meets on January 10th, which is, I guess, as of the taping two weeks from tonight. Um, and they are going to be reviewing, uh, the memo, uh, the memo of understanding. There's a staff packet that the, uh, that the county economic development has put together. That's kind of gotten blessed by, uh, the county administrator, county lawyers. Um, there was an email that was sent out by the chairman of the board that you know, spoke highly favorably in, in, uh, in terms of the proposal. So it, it sounds like if, if I have a grasp on on the legislature in my own county. So, yeah, it, it sounds like it's, it's pretty much a, a, a foregone conclusion, barring any sort of, of last minute um, substantive opposition at, at this point, which is which is encouraging. So what is the area around that park like and what like mechanically transitly, like what is it going to mean for people who want to come see the games? Is it easy to access? Uh, is it going to cause a big disruption to the people who live in that area? What, what's the, what, what is the greater Philip A. Bolden Memorial Park area like? So the, the larger kind of surrounding areas, they, they don't really have, much in terms of, of nearby residential. Um, there's a, you have the park and ride. There's a, uh, there's a cough detention center, cough, cough, that's not too far away from, from the USL stadium. 
Um, but it's, it's nothing of concern because meth hasn't really come to Loudoun County quite yet. <laughs> but um, it's, it's, largely, it's largely commercial. Um, there are some, some residential things that aren't too far away. But they're far enough to the point where, you know, a 5,000-seat stadium isn't going to kind of disrupt things when there's already six soccer fields, two football fields, four baseball diamonds that are, that are already there, eight baseball diamonds, I should say. Um, and wow. there's, a, there's a small airport that's maybe about, um, I think it runs parallel to, uh, to one of the entry points. And in, in something that I'm kind of, um, slowly putting together for uh, for the site. Um, it's about maybe ten minutes off of uh, off of the greenway from a couple of different exit points, um, and it's also about ten minutes off of Route Seven for those who don't like to uh, to pay the exorbitant greenway costs. So, from from what I can tell and what I've been reading, it, it looks pretty accessible um, from from a variety of areas. Um, there's nothing really in the way of, of kind of like a, a lot experience to, uh, to really enjoy. I, I don't know what, what USL teams do these days for, uh, for pre-gaming events, but the, the area itself on a, on a larger picture is maybe about 10 minutes away from, from the Loudoun proper, or sorry, from Leesburg proper. And there's pretty much everything that you can think of in terms of, of, uh, amenities, food, drink, um, what have you. And um, one of the things I saw from, in, in terms of talking to a couple of, of people is, is the ability to kind of expand the, the footprint. Um, they're saying that the USL site or the USL stadium could be expandable. I don't know if they're going to kind of go that route. I would presume not. Um, but they can maybe like expand the uh, the facility space and, and uh, the field space if, uh, if they need to. So if it's near an airport, do you think that uh, Jason Levin could just be uh, flying himself over from DC right into uh, into the uh, uh, situation there? And and... Just... Yeah, I would exactly. assume that he would be kind of sticking to brand and riding the uh, the Audi down the Greenway. Uh, in getting off there. <laughs> so, you know, and sorry to, to Jason for, for dropping the brand level. Uh, I mean, I, I looked into uh, last year, the Spirit played, or last year, earlier this year, the Spirit played a preseason game uh, even closer to the air, the airport Ryan referenced than, uh, than the site we're talking about. And I happened to drive past a similarly sized airport on a regular basis. So I looked into how much it would cost to just fly to the game and walk a mile or so, um, to save myself the long drive there. And, uh, it was, uh, more than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly, I did not expect it to be affordable, but it was uh, a larger, the price I could find that was not even clearly a price to do this was like 10 grand. <laughs> um, which sounds wrong, but also I, I don't know how much it costs to just walk up to an airport and be like, can you fly me somewhere? Uh, that sounds pretty affordable for Jason Levian, though. Oh yeah, for for him, I would hope so, but uh, for me, not as much. Um, and so <laughs> right. I did not fly uh, out to Leesburg. I I drove like a, from like a normal person, um, which is a shame because otherwise it would be almost a thing I could do: just walk out my door, um, walk a couple miles to the airport, get on a plane, 
fly to Leesburg and then walk another mile and be at, at a stadium without having gotten in a car. I think that would be pretty awesome. Uh, but I also don't know that I can ever make it happen financially. Maybe if I win the lottery. Um, if you win the lottery, I'll, we will I'll hold commute. you to this. You you will have to do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll commute. Uh, I'll just walk to the airport with like some cash in hand and be like, who wants to fly me to Leesburg? Um, and I'll just walk around until someone does it or until I'm escorted off the property. Um, even money, which one probably the first, right. Um, but I guess more importantly, um, Ryan, I mean, you've, you've, when, when there were, uh, DC United under 23 games to cover, uh, they often were playing out at the evergreen sportsplex. You were covering, you covered them for an entire season a couple years ago. Um, so you've seen that United wants to have a link for players that aren't quite ready to be on an MLS deal, but that was the, the under 23s is a different animal. It's not a direct connection. Um, how much do you think it's going to benefit DC United to have an, a legitimate direct connection between them and the players at this, uh, at the USL level? Um, I, I think it should help. Um, I, I know the, the, some of the, the, comments or observations have been kind of like, oh, well, you know, you know, what kind of young player would, would want to come out here and, and things of that nature. But, you know, it's, it, it's getting more and more accessible to, to get all the way out to Leesburg, quote unquote. Um, I, I drive, I drive the Greenway most every day or, or most every non holiday or whatever. And, and it, it's going to get to a point where, I mean, in, in theory, you could go from the stadium to a, a spot maybe like, you know, 10 minutes away from, you know, whatever they decide to, to call that part of the DCU-USL campus and and then go from there. And, and you know, there, there have been a few players through the years that have went ahead and set up roots uh, out near there. Uh, Jaime Moreno is, is one that, that lives out, I think he lives out past even further west past Leesburg, and he was making that drive a lot. Um, so, and, and, and you know, first team players that have been first team players have been living close to Ashburn in, in the past, and it's it's been something that's been pretty. They they, they can get to the site, um, and I know that that it kind of shares a, a same proximity to Loudon Soccer which has a, a DA partnership with DC. So there's, there is sort of like an even further tangible connection there uh, for, for young players that, that, you know, where they can go ahead and go, okay, well you can go ahead and just work down the road if, if you're good enough and, and you chose to. Um, so it's, it's maybe not the, the best answer to your question. Um, but I, I think that, that when it comes to inroads, um, I think that it, it it helps kind of strengthen some and and helps uh, um, you know put a little bit further roots in others. You mentioned expanding DC United's footprint earlier, and I think that's one of the reasons Loudoun County was in play um, versus housing a, a USL team at Buzzard Point. Obviously, a five thousand seat stadium makes more sense than a 20,000 seat stadium for what amounts to a, a B team. Uh, but also Northern Virginia was in play for an NASL franchise at, at one point it, it fell through, but uh, I, I don't think it ever got really beyond the, the polo shirt 
stage uh, of team development. Oh yeah, no, I, I saw the scarf and bag somewhere up there from from the uh, from the Cali. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there there's an opportunity there to get people who who maybe aren't quite as willing to drive as far as you are for a soccer game. For sure, and and it, it certainly kind of gives people a little bit of a of an entry point and and helps kind of you know build those those pipelines of of um, visibility, communication, trust, even. Um, but between the community and, and the team, um, in, in speaking with, with a couple of people kind of familiar with, with the terms of the deal, I mean, they're, they're looking to kind of like make it, they're, they're looking to make it kind of like their own, you know, top of the line complex that there's been talks of like, you know, getting, you know, film rooms, getting, you know, cafeterias and meal plans. I mean, they, they, they want to make it as, as as frontline and as top class, as accessible as possible uh, for, for the first team. And, and, you know, trying to, you know, trickling that down to, to the USL and D2 team and, and at some point trying to do something like that for, for the academy kids. I'm, I'm not entirely sure how they're kind of going to handle that. Um, but I, I hope that there's, there's kind of room for them at the, at the end, so to speak. Uh, I I know on Loudoun County side too. They part one, one term of the deal we didn't mention earlier is that the the team name of the USL team is is going to have Loudoun in it somewhere, whether that's Loudoun United or or Loudoun County United or or Loudoun Locos or or whatever. Uh, it, it's going to be there. So Loudoun Cavalry, m- maybe who knows? Um, I don't know if that trademark, if the Northern Virginia cavalry trademark still exists or is valid but i mean it's it's certainly a possibility at this point um trademark get on it <laughs> how how much county pride is there in loudon and in, in, is that going to to make a difference in you know driving gate and and getting this team out there uh for for county residents um i, I think the potential is very good um, they, they, I, I don't know how much of, of Loudon as, as branding is, is kind of served as a, like a conciliatory point or, or, you know, if, if the team is kind of, you know, genuinely looking for, you know, looking towards that. I mean, I, I think that, that there's been like signage and, and talk of like uniforms with, with Loudon on them in, in some version. Um, the, the USL, the USL team is, is going to kind of serve as, as like its own. Um, I mean, there, there's going to be, you know, some trickle down from DCU proper, but it's it's going to kind of serve as its own um, entity to a degree. Which is to say, I mean, I mean, you could come to a game and, I mean, you can get, you know, chips and beer or whatever. I mean, they're, they're talking about like serving like beer and wine at these games, which, like, you know, to to a degree, kind of emblem, you know, symbolizes Loudoun County. <laughs> I mean. I think there's maybe like within about like five or eight miles of me, there's about like three breweries, a cidery, a distillery, and God knows how many wineries. And so, I mean, if they're looking to kind of like, you know, get in with the community and I mean, let's, let's get in with the community. So if, if, if they're looking to try and drive more 
more first team migration from, you know, DC, Arlington and, and other points, you know, east of me, you know, in, in terms of like to a quieter area that has like just as much going on, then, you know, getting them out there to, to, you know, get to the facility or have access to a world-class facility, as they seem to be calling it, is, is a good first step to it. And, and eventually that's going to lead to, you know, faith and communication and, and, you know, trust with the county and vice versa. I know I'm excited to hear the some of those details about the the facility. You hear about teams like Atlanta United opening a, a state-of-the-art training facility and, and headquarters for their academy. And and it, it would be pretty cool and certainly help DC United as far as player recruitment to to have that. I, I know there have been concerns, and you, you alluded to them earlier, Ryan, of, uh, you know, it, it takes an hour to drive out to Leesburg from uh, the middle of the city before even you account for for traffic. And some people have said this is, you know, footprint expanding, notwithstanding, this might be too far a field. Uh, what, what's your response to that? I mean, you live, you live out there, so you know that commute better than any of us do. Uh, but how do you respond to, to that as a potential downside? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, how how do I actually respond to it, or how should both, I respond? Honestly, to it? both. Um, I, I I admit that I'm a total snob when it comes to to being in the city, and I I'm completely for this move. But I know some some of my fellow urban snobs are 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 not. I mean, you know, emotionally, and for lack of a better phrase, harden up. You know, it, it, if I'm doing this on, you know. Before I, I, you know, had had a kid, and and you know, you know, time's been kind of like drawn away from going to games. I mean, I'm, I was going to games on weeknights and weekends, and then and then making those drives back, and then you know, if it was a case of weekdays, you know, I'm, you know, going back in the office the next day. So you know, and, and you know, I'm basically going an hour east and then an hour west, and then an hour east in the span of 24 hours. So, you know, if, if you're going to sit there and, and say that, like, you know, a, a weekend drive to the quote-unquote country is difficult, I, I don't I, I don't know what to tell you. Because, you know, if, I, if I'm making that drive from the country to the city, and, you know, sometimes on, on days when there are a lot of people doing the same thing, I, I, don't, I don't see the excuse, frankly. Um, and you know, kind of like circling back to, to what we were saying earlier, it's 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 getting more and more accessible as, as we go here. Um, I mean, the, the, the Silver Line does a lot of that. Um, the, the Silver Line, I, I think that what they're saying is um, it's going to be completed. Believe it or not, um, it's going to be completed in <laughs> 2021. Um, you know, and and you know for veterans of the area like like you know jason or i i mean they had been talking about it forever and ever and now they're actually like talking about it being done um right so you know it's there are there are a lot of of you know options to to get out here just as there are a lot of options to get from from here to there um there, there are shoot there's a park and ride 
you know, just at the very edge of the, the, the space, for goodness sakes. You know, and, and there's shuttles that, that run from there every week, you know, and I'm sure that there are probably other options too. So I, I don't, I, I don't see the problem, frankly. And, well, and it, so good. No, I was just going to say, and also the, the greater DMV is so big that, it's not necessarily for the people in who live in DC like Adam. It's to reach a new population, and there's a lot of people in Loudoun who aren't able to make it to many DC United games or any DC United games at all, and they still want to see soccer. So it's also to reach them and to maybe hopefully encourage them to eventually start going to see some DC United games, or even if they don't, to just see some professional no, soccer. No, and I completely agree all. with I completely agree so, with that point. If you if you look at some of the other MLS two or MLS B teams that are out there, the the New York Red Bulls won the USL Cup a couple years ago with an average attendance of under 600, I think. This putting a a team in what amounts to uh, almost a different market while still being accessible to your your everyday players and staff is it it seems like a good decision. It, It seems like it would drive attendance and revenue, whether DC United keeps them the business side in house or, or farms it out the way the Houston dynamo have done with um, the, the Rio Grande Valley team where they have a different company essentially that's, running the business side while they retain control the, of the soccer that's a team. That's like four or five hours away from Houston. So yeah, that's a lot yeah. further away, but, but whatever DC United decides well, to do, this seems like a, a reasonable uh, solution to, to the myriad issues about launching a USL team, which there are issues. Uh, some some MLS teams have started to contract and, and fold their their USL teams. So there there are expenses that you need to recoup through this and and putting it in a position, putting the team in a position to draw new people and bring them, make them DC United fans in the long run, but supporters of this second team in the immediate term, seems like a good decision to me. Yeah, I mean, the, oh. go ahead, Ryan. Well, no, I, I was going to say too, and, and this, this may be kind of addressing a, a question that, that Adam had asked that I may have unintentionally dodged. <laughs> there, there's going to be more visibility when it, when it comes to the team stuff. So, you know, the, the thing I always like to kind of circle back to sometimes is, is, you know, you, you take a look at, at Seattle, and Seattle, when it, when it comes to, to press and, and media availability, is, is I think they hold like three fully open practices a week or something like that. You know, so long as, as you know the, the reporters don't do this or this or whatever. So you know, there, there's plenty of opportunity for the team to be more more visible and and you know, as a benefit, more transparent toward that. So, I mean, I, you know, it's going to be out in the country, but, you know, the, the team is going to have the opportunity to be more, more uh, acclimated, I guess, to, to this, uh, the, this newfound environment that they potentially and, have. Them. I mean, you guys know my uh, feelings on having to travel into Virginia. Um, but uh, <laughs> I, like I said earlier, I made a trip out to a, a spot very cl- – the Evergreen Sports Complex is very close to um, – relatively close to, I should say, um, the, the site of, of the training facility. I went out there for a spirit preseason game. I drove 
I wasn't starting from closer. I drove all the way from out here uh, near the bay to Leesburg, and it really wasn't that bad. Um, it's a long drive, but it's not like a long, challenging drive. Um, so it's not like enduring, you know, a commute from one side of the beltway to the other during rush hour. It's not anything like that. It just it's it's a drive, but it's not uh, this, you know, horrible challenge where you constantly have to fight for your life uh, every moment of of your drive. Um, So in that regard, it really wasn't uh, that much of a hassle. And you guys know that if I'm saying that about a drive into Virginia, then it really wasn't bad at all. And also, there are plenty of places, right? Um, Pretty much any time you talk to Ryan, he's got a new beer from a brewery somewhere out there. Um, So if you want to make a day of it, you go go to the game and then hit one of the many, many, many brew op, uh, brewery options out there, get some food and, uh, you know, really turn it into a, into a, a nice, uh, you know, short, short uh, mini vacation almost. Um, because that's. It, it, it's called the loco. Yeah, I mean, there's, that's a completely a viable thing for you to do. And, and you could do it multiple times and not go to the same brewery twice. So um, the options are certainly there for you to make it into something that. Uh, isn't just this, oh, I have to drive so far to do this thing I, that I, I kind of enjoy. Um, if, you, if you have the time to, if, to make it work, if you if you can fit it in your schedule, it really isn't going to be um, as bad as you might be thinking it is. Anything else you guys want to talk about, or, or should we get out of here and, and put our exhausted, addled minds to rest for the evening? <laughs> Loudon is the home of Goat Co. Brew Ale Trail. Fine. Nob, 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 nob. That was unnecessary. I remain a broken man. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, again, uh, we all know we can find you at blackandredunited.com. Where else are you on on the old internet? Uh, Twitter at Rifa underscore K. Um, and <laughs> he's a simple man with simple tastes, actually complex, nuanced tastes in beer, uh, among other things. Just, 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 but just one, one Twitter, Twitter account. account. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com or at two Twitter accounts, uh, at filibuster DCU for the podcast at black and red U. For the website, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. I don't think we have a second email address for the podcast uh we're on itunes stitcher soundcloud the internet archive uh google play wherever podcasts are available we're probably there give us a rating and review if you feel like helping us out if you really feel like helping us out you can tell a friend about the show that really helps us in a, in a big way a very real way if you want an extra special help us out you can go to patreon.com slash filibuster and support us financially that's an even realer way to support us whatever you do thank you for for listening and listening through this uh spiel at the end for jason and ben and ryan i'm adam and we'll talk to you real soon say goodbye jason you know what time it is (laughs) i'm so sad right now It's so sad. This is worse than goats.